Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I want to remind everyone that the purpose of this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. This does not constitute a therapy session with a licensed therapist. I do strongly recommend finding a therapist in your area to work with on your unique issues. So for today, we once more have someone I met back in 2019 at an event that uh, has changed many of our lives. Uh, And a very brilliant woman who I was willing to share during that uh, event as I was. And who also has a very strong goal towards moving and healing people in the future, not just here in the U.S., but abroad as well. And I hope we will get a chance to talk a bit about it and the experiences that have happened earlier this year, too. I am pleased to welcome Marjorie Jean to Untying Knots. Now, Marjorie uh, has a very interesting background. She is an entrepreneur, a social worker, and most importantly, a mother. She's the owner and lead therapist at Ram Circle, a behavioral health group practicing located location located in Maryland. She's also a brain spotter and trained in EMDR, specializing in attachment, trauma, generational trauma, and self-esteem. She was she was with me when we first did the first BIPOC uh, uh, brain spotters back in December 2019 in Atlanta, and she splits her time between. Washington, D.C., and Haiti, where she is focusing on bringing brain spotting to Haiti as well, and hopes to really get this rolling in this next year. She's also working on curating a book called Esteem, which she'll publish in January of uh, 2022, which is about the time this podcast will be available for listing. So this is good beginning press, honey. Yes. (laughs) So Marjorie Jean, welcome. Tell us a bit about how you got started on this journey. Thank you so much for having me, Perry. This is exciting. And I'm actually getting, just hearing your radio voice, you have the podcast presence, I must say. (laughs) Thanks, I've been hearing that. Never really thought about it that way, but okay. I'm Um, blushing, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for the introduction. I am Marjorie, and I will get the first question is, how did I get started? I think for me, this question is multi-layered because I never actually intended on being a therapist, a psychotherapist at all. I was interested in journalism and I wanted to cover stories that had to do with child maltreatment. I wanted to work on campaign with politicians who were invested in having better laws around child welfare. And so when I was writing and I actually was applying into after my undergraduate studies in psychology and political science, I was applying into a program um, that was a PhD. It was psychology slash public Mm -hmm. policy. Mm -hmm. And my professors reading my personal statements were like, Marjorie, this isn't it. This is giving me very one-on-one work. This is giving me very therapy, but in a very social activism way. Mm -hmm. And have you considered looking into social work? And I had never heard of social work before. Mm-hmm. So I looked up two, I looked up two programs. And I was, as I was reading the curriculum and program description, I said, oh my God, this is it. And so that's how I found myself into social work. But I always knew that I wanted to do therapy differently, which is mm-hmm. why I think a very social, a very culturally open and social justice lens to mental health. So mm-hmm. that's how that's how I got started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be psychotherapy. It was supposed to be, yeah, public policy work. And then I ended up in this field, which makes sense. And when I talk to people who know me, they're like, um, yeah, this is you. This always been you. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. So how did you start RAM Circle? And what does RAM stand for? Yeah. Um, RAM Circle, which is one, it's my son's nickname. His name is Rami, R-A-M-I, and I, I call him Ram, Ram Ram. And Ram stands for recast, 
attune and mending. After giving birth to Rami, I had a C-section. I was, I, there was a pretty tough dis, uh, recovery process for me. Mm. And my mother, who I hadn't lived with since I was very young, I mean, she was always in my life because I lived in Haiti. She moved to the U.S. for a better life to help us. Mm. So I hadn't lived with her since I was three years old. So this was the first time she came to help and I, we were actually living together. I had all these feelings that I thought I had worked through because I was a therapist, mm. but I hadn't a lot of pain that hadn't been that wasn't mended and having gone through this bodily experience which was giving birth a lot mm. of things on earth mm-hmm. and mm. these feelings were coming up towards her towards me and towards just being a mom overall mm-hmm. for me I was literally starting to lose my mind and I thought okay I have to figure something out and and while also being a mother to a newborn. Mm. Um, and so I said, okay, I need to find a way. It, this feels like a tsunami. So I need to find a way. All of these things coming up, body, all of it. It feels like a tsunami. I need to find a way to make the tsunami feel like a torrent or a, a rain, a rain, the rain or a storm. I mean, a, a storm is still bad, but a tsunami is worse. Mm-hmm. So that's where the recast part came from for me. So I need to find a way. I need to find a space within myself. And that's my DBT background too. Like I have to use words to recast, to reframe, mm-hmm. to help me process things differently. Yeah. And so I was this, I was in this storm with my mother, with my body, with being a mom and all of it. And so the recast part really for me was just like, okay, let's step back and let's find a way to name this that in a mm-hmm. way that feels manageable. Mm-hmm. Right? Because sometimes when it's too big, you can't deal with it. So let's take it little by little and just let's work from there. Mm-hmm. And so once I was able to move from a space of tsunami to more like a rain, rainfall, um, I was able to just be more steel. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I went into a space of going in. Mm-hmm. Um, the going in really helped me around emotional regulation, just using my senses to calm myself. Mm-hmm. And that is not just a work in one day, by the way, this was like many days. And so sometimes the recast was happening as I was also attuning. Mm-hmm. So for me, attuning meant using all of the things within me and around me. as a tool for self for soothing Mm -hmm. and now i have i'm able to recast i'm feeling a little better i'm able to attune this chaos inside of me i'm able to just feel my body get to know my body better so now i can actually begin to um, look into the work the Mm -hmm. trauma Mm -hmm. because it's just skill-based stuff now so now the mending part is where i go Mm -hmm. um not just the memories that were left in the body when my mother left when I was so young, the things that happened, the narrative that I attached to attached to her leaving, although she was leaving for a better life. But as a child, there was a narrative that was in my mind that was different from what she, her intention were. So mm-hmm. all of that is when I said, okay, I'm going to do therapy differently now. Mm-hmm. I am going to approach therapy from, I was a great therapist, but I think this moment really humbled me so much. It I I felt humanized in a way that I had never felt before. And so I said, okay, I need to look at therapy within these three different approaches. Mm -hmm. Sometimes clients come in and they're just too activated. They can't get into the stuff. And so let's pause and help them to actually move from a tsunami Mm -hmm. to a a storm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's go from there and help them to get to know their bodies more and regulate before we actually get in the work of doing trauma reprocessing and eventually mending old pain. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. really the story. And so once I did that, immediately after that, after my own inner work, I registered my business, Ram Circle. And the circle part is really because it's just sort of like life is a circle. We, we heal best in circle. After my brain spotting experience, I learned that. Mm-hmm. And so I thought all of this needs to happen in circle. 
very very beautifully put in the aspect too even just the nature of naming your business is very different than what, what we're sort of taught to name businesses as, as therapists and much the same for my practice untangle and grow counseling it is based off the adinkra symbols and at least two of the symbols that i put together which one being the knot of reconciliation because we have to untangle so much of what's going on so i abbreviated that and the uh a symbol aya which is the fern which can grow in such strange and devastated places and this is post-traumatic growth is our goal so this is also already just an element of how we're doing therapy differently and what are we embodying into our businesses absolutely but you also bring up something very important there when you're talking about the aspect of the person being in the tsunami versus just the storm and this probably and i have a feeling we're going to be talking about myths and realities throughout all of this but is there an aspect of especially for us as clinicians is there an aspect of so many people seeing the tsunami people are in and not recognizing it therefore we as people of color get recognized as treatment resistant absolutely which is why i don't use the word um client is non-compliant mm -hmm. i don't use the kind of language because for me working from an attachment-based perspective when someone comes at, as resistant i appreciate that because what that tells me is you've had this trauma and you've had to build some walls around it to protect yourself so there's mm -hmm. an issue that you're coming with so what that tells me is i need to be even more gentle Mm -hmm. more patient with you and we need to pace ourselves even more and mm -hmm. work on the and work on the attunement which allows you to trust yourself better so those mm -hmm. walls can come back down so i actually appreciate the quote-unquote resistance because mm -hmm. it says to me that you live in a world that you don't trust and you live in a world that has violated you enough that now you better have these walls because you can't have people coming in and out and hurt you in the way that they've done continuously. Mm -hmm. So you're, when you come to me, you're like, I don't trust this woman yet. Let me keep this wall up. Let me keep my armor up. And eventually she is going to earn my trust. And that doesn't work well when we're dealing with a uh, 12 session model that insurance is paying for. Not at all. Mm. Not at Cause, all. Because <laughs> it takes time. It takes some time. time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And just that assumption that you're there as the therapist or the rescuer, the, the caretaker, that you were supposed to implicitly begin to trust them. But no, yeah. that has also been something that's been used against the person. So the person until or even the individuals until they have been able to see by not just words, but by actions, yeah. you can be trusted. And that's going to be on a person by person small group by small group basis 100 yes which is a, something again that goes counter to what we're standardly taught or is thought about when it comes to the idea of providing psychological services because there's already an like this it can be that there's this asymmetrical relationship between therapist and client so mm -hmm. we really have to be careful with our language so we're mm -hmm. not pushing the incline even more mm -hmm. when we come in when client comes in with their boundaries we actually, sometimes those boundaries don't make us feel good. And because they don't make, they make us feel good. We're like, oh, they're resistant. No, they're coming in with boundaries. Now we can talk about how to shift them, but let's appreciate the fact that this client is coming in with their boundaries. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very much so. Which I think also gets into some of the other things we're going to talk about today. And I think one of the big ones is when you were telling your story about what happened with your mom that speaks very much to the issue of generational trauma and why is it important for us to begin to recognize and work with generational trauma absolutely and for me it, it just made sense I, before that my focus was always attachment i've always been a fan of attachment it made sense to me it's just my my life purpose in a way and I'd never thought about the generational piece in that way. I mean, I did, but not in mm -hmm. such, I hadn't had any human connection to it that I was aware of. 
Mm-hmm. So in those moments with my mother, I realized how much of the pain that I inherited was also pain that she inherited. As well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how much of that, those things had become part of our family culture. And I mm-hmm. hadn't realized that. Mm-hmm. 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 So... And that also becomes another component of the trust issue, as we we're talking about, about the work that needs to go in. Um, how much is there's also been, again, the generational damage of trust manipulated. Absolutely. Absolutely. So give me a ballpark idea of what that means when working with somebody. Yeah. Um, I think because now people read my, um, when most of my clients are either referred, mm-hmm. uh, most of them are referred. So they'll go and read my profile, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. my website. So lambcircle.com and already they come with an understanding of what the work entails. I do very pretty much body brain based work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also a lot of skill based work um, with mm-hmm. focus. And so when someone comes in and it's like, oh, I've been looking for someone like you. Mm-hmm. Or I've been looking for someone and I just didn't know there were people doing that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's just about, I don't trust anybody. I'm having issues of trusting um, people in my life. I'm having issues trusting myself. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I work, I, I work, I work with, very, with women who are in a very powerful position and the esteem shows up in overachievement. Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily walk down the street and feel bad about themselves, but their worth is very much based into their job title uh, mm-hmm. and the work that they do. So when when those things sort of shift or at a pause, they not necessarily they're not sure they're unsure what to do with their lives. They're unsure who they are because everything about them is rooted in the type of work that they do and what their position is. Um, so when coming in we work around a lot of issues around money narrative around Mm -hmm. what it's like to be what it's like to be to show up with just inherent worth like Mm -hmm. no attachment to just be a person of worth Mm -hmm. um i talk a lot about i'll ask questions about tell me about your mother tell me about your father um tell me about your father's father and what was those dynamics? Like, what did you witness? Not necessarily out of let's um, blame the family, but having an understanding of the family, like mm-hmm. in a way where the client is able to remove themselves away from the pain that the family has caused to just seeing them as people who mm-hmm. also had these experiences. And they, he, she, they, um, he might have also have inherited. So mm-hmm. it's a lot of assessment of the family. Sometimes mm-hmm. we start from that, assessing the family, and then we move up. Mm-hmm. Up the tree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's a, we want to try and ideally in many situations we want to try and have compassion for those other family members and the choices they were put in. In many cases, they were untenable choices. Yeah. Sometimes, though, it's not not everybody makes that. Yeah. yeah. And there's dealing with that standpoint of perhaps they may never change or they were never ha- had the opportunity to change or even desire to change. Absolutely. Because yeah. there was some sort of power, they even power or way of coping that they were able to live with with that. And but un, unintentionally, or now nah, I'm going to go with unintentionally, it results in damage to those that come after. Which is also one reason why I don't work on forgiveness. So sometimes clients will come in and teach me how to forgive my mother, my father, my aunt, or whomever. I that's not, I don't work from a place of forgiveness. I more so mm-hmm. work from a place of this has happened. Um, let's have an understanding of what happened, how that impacted you, and who are the key players in the restorative circle. Mm-hmm. And restorative circle is not necessarily of uh, the thing that we do. We, we the thing that we do after something happens. It's more so a, a way of approaching life. Mm-hmm. That everyone who has caused harm, however we, th- however little or big we think of the harm, needs to show up to the circle and on their part. So the mm-hmm. harm could have been you remain silent when abuse was taking place, right? The harm mm-hmm. could have been you were part of the person doing the harm. The harm could have been you kept the secret. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like someone told you that something happened and you like you protected that secret. 
Oh, so 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 it's like it's let's all take out, let's all hold our part, however it looks like, and let's work to change the narrative and heal that at the same time. Mm -hmm. Side note: something I was just having to be an excerpt of something I was watching yesterday um, while I was in the middle of helping with the brain spotting training uh, okay. for BIPOCs. Um, but this is a it was a horror movie. It was a scene from a horror movie. And I was this black woman who was essentially a law enforcement person. And she was making that, that hero dilemma. Do you open the door to save the people outside or protect the people inside? And ultimately, they didn't let the people in. But then they showed her having this crisis about the action she took and admitting that she wanted to live. And this character or other character walked up to her and said, no one could blame you for what you did. And she says, no one has to blame me. I blame myself. And in that particular moment, after she said that, is like, oh, she's having a moral injury quest situation right there. Which, because you talked about the standpoint of people sometimes being unintentionally involved in doing the harm or being forced to keep the secret, there's also a moral injury that comes up for them. And I now just makes me wonder how often are we accounting for that when we're working with our people? Yeah, it does. I mean, it does come a lot and really helping clients frame it in that way. What mm. is your part? What part do you think you hold in the hurt of your family? Mm -hmm. And helping them frame it in that way. And it's not a question of you're guilty. None of that. No, it's really so you can have a chance to release it. Now, it may mean that the scar remains. So we're not about necessarily removing, um, erasing the scar. Maybe mm -hmm. for some people, it's necessary that the scar be there. Mm -hmm. But when you touch it, it doesn't hurt as bad as it's hurt before. Mm -hmm. so what part do you hold in your family's history and your family hurt? Do you have any outstanding questions about the pain that has happened in your community or your family? And really yeah. working from that. So someone may come in with depression and really what we go after or what we, what we work towards is the family system. And then somehow the depression changes its form. Mm -hmm. Someone may come in with anxiety and we talk about the family system. I guess we're doing the emotional regulation at the same time. I don't want to say that we're, we're just doing this work, but we're, we're doing so much at the same time that we're not just focused on, well, tell me how anxious you felt today, but no, mm -hmm. like, tell me the earliest time you remembered that anxiety. And sometimes they'll draw yeah. a picture that has a lot to do with family dynamics that impacted the anxiety or friendship dynamics that impacted the anxiety. So it's mm -hmm. just really looking at a person, at the whole person. So we're not looking just at the symptoms, but I'm more focused on the root cause. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the questions aren't always, where do you think the anxiety comes from? But it's really helping clients to be able to get to know themselves better by asking very open-ended questions, but very trauma-focused and um, open-ended questions. Mm -hmm. uh, well, and you also underlined so much in that is that it's not just dealing with one issue. We're dealing with multiple issues at the same yeah. time because there's multiple meanings that are being threaded into this narrative that yeah. the person has for themselves or that has even been pushed onto them yeah yeah because you so and i think that's a beautiful segue into the top into the topic you wanted to talk about today which was esteem and i know the book that you've also been writing is on esteem and how much does esteem affect again the generational trauma the moral injury that we're talking about, even just the basic attachment. Yeah. The, the work esteem is really an extension of, <clears throat> sorry, it's an extension of the work that the inner work that I have done, the way that I practice, and really also have been influenced by people that I have, whose work I've read, mm -hmm. um, people who have shown up in my life unexpectedly, who taught me so much, um, brain spotting, um, resma. Mm -hmm. All of these people have really just, um, David Grant, Roby, um, just the whole cohort of um, the Brain Spotting BIPOC class in 2019. All mm -hmm. of this have been, have helped me birth esteem. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. all of those experiences. And what I have discovered is that my definition of esteem is a way of showing up. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily because I think I, when I've talked to people before and I've talked about esteem, they're like, oh no, I think I look good. I think I'm a great person. And it's for me, it's really not, I mean, maybe that's part of it, but mm-hmm. that's not what esteem is. Esteem is a way of showing up in the world. Um, and it's also a way of showing up for your community. So mm-hmm. showing up in a way that mm-hmm. elevates you, um, that centers you, and also that centers your community. Mm-hmm. Because you can have, you can't have esteem if you are working actively to uphold system that oppress and, and marginalize others. That is not esteem. To me, at least it's not, not in the way that I define it, not in the way that it's written in the book. There is a personal individualistic aspect of to esteem and there is a collective um, aspect to esteem. And we have to be able to hold, to hold both. I'm not saying we hold both at the same level all the time, but there needs to be space for both. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. showing up into the world as your best self and your best self can mean that today I'm not feeling too good today I'm having these thoughts about someone and I wish I didn't so it's not your perfect self it's all of your parts and where the key here is self-leadership you're making decisions that are Terry that are Perry focused you're making decisions that are um, dismantling system in place that have destroyed families, that have destroyed your family and other people's families. So it's really just a way of showing up in the world that helps to provide a level of balance. And this is also leads into what your original work when you were doing uh, as trying to be journalists, which is the restorative <laughs> justice standpoint. Yes. So esteem is also part of the restorative justice process too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's so interesting how it all comes back together. I left journalism, but it Mm -hmm. sort of all comes back together because for me, the restorative um, justice part is what, 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 what role do you play? Mm -hmm. And let's, and can you show up and own it? Um, Healing cannot, we can do our own individual healing, but it's maximized when the people in our communities and our families that have caused the harm also come and say, I was there, I felt my community or I felt you. I was mm-hmm. scared or I didn't know, I didn't mm-hmm. have the language or there was mm-hmm. system in place, whatever it is, but to show up and to help this other person, to help them finalize, close all of the gaps, the gaps of this process. So that, that's restorative justice is that we are we somehow, all of us hold a part. No, it's not all equal parts, but we hold a part. Mm-hmm. So I think of like the, um, I'll think of situations when we have people in our communities that are harmful and we don't say anything, we don't do anything. We're just like, oh, that's, that's whomever. Oh, that's, that's so-and-so. But then they are causing harm to someone else. But when we stay in silence, it also harms us. Mm-hmm. And we carry that into other places who also carry it to other places. And the suffering is lingering. So restorative justice is that the suffering doesn't have to linger. It can stop with acknowledgement and active healing. And I don't use the word undoing because you can't undo but you certainly can dig into, you can excavate and remove the stuff that's rotten. Mm-hmm. Very deep, very true. And which is why healing is not, again, 12 sessions. <laughs> or the idea that you can get somebody back to what they were functioning just before right. the crisis, which is what happens with a lot of EAP, when the reality is that they were actually probably in worse shape just before and the crisis just made the shape they were in apparent. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Like if you think of the pandemic, a lot of people were already dealing with that, but the pandemic just sort of brought things to the surface. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very yeah. much so. Very much so. But, you know, I think that's a good place for us to take a break. 
So we're going to go, we'll be hanging in there, folks, and we'll be back shortly uh, talking more with Marjorie Jean here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Follow the Voice America Empowerment Channel on Twitter. You already know we're full of great ideas, and our hosts have plenty to say. We want to hear from you, too. Be sure to follow us at VA Empowerment and come back every day to see what's next. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Do you have knots? Not the physical tightness in your neck and back, and not the ones on a rope, but metaphors for the helpful and unhelpful tugs in life that can help us ascend to a new level or stop us from falling too far back down. Join host Perry Clark for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered, a program about mental health and its practice from an indigenous person of color. We'll help you find the knots that help you and avoid the ones that don't. Listen for new episodes every other week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Welcome back, everybody, to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm here with Marjorie Jean. How you doing? Doing good. <laughs> so, uh, as I mentioned in the earlier half, you and I both got trained in brain spotting back in December 2019, yeah. and this was a very focused training on bringing more people of color, BIPOC or Black Indigenous people of color, into the brain spotting world and using it as a tool to help and facilitate uh, healing. And I just spent this weekend helping as one of the facilitators for uh, one of the programs this week. And I know you have a definite focus of trying to bring this to Haiti. So tell us a little more about that. Yeah, the day day after my training, because as you know, I I did a demo Mm -hmm. with David Grant, Dr. David Grant, and I was the first person to do the demo. I knew then, okay, I Mm -hmm. want to take this thing to Haiti. 
but there are so many systems that I had to put in place before that could even happen. I also had to move to Haiti. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always, I wanted to move full-time to Haiti. And after this training is what really solidified the plan to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, brain spotting has changed my life. It has changed my practice. It has changed the way that I mother. Mm-hmm. It has changed the way that I understand people, that I see people. Like I, now I get to actually see a whole person versus focusing on parts of the person. And it also helps me to look at how I look at systems. Mm-hmm. So in wanting to take brain spotting to Haiti, those were all of the things that I had to consider. Um, and it gave me so much flexibility on how I do it in a way that's culturally open, as well as that is with that social justice lens that I am passionate about. Um, so there will be the first brain spotting training in 2022 at the end of April with Melanie Young as the, mm-hmm. the main trainer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the goal is that I wanted it to be um, for a live professional. So it's actually going to be open to all frontline workers. Um, that are in the health in the healthcare um, system in Haiti mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that will ha- sort of have added a different layer to the brains to, to the way of teaching brain spotting mm-hmm. I'm excited about it I am scared out of my mind it's nothing I've ever done before and I think the fear has a lot to do with the fact that I have so much invested <laughs> real lag there so I want to show up in a way that is Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, no doubt about that. And I know this year, 2021, there was also the most recent, I think it was the earthquake or was it a storm? No, but I think they were both, both, or was it both? So this 2021, we have, we have a pandemic, we have COVID, mm. a continued mm. pandemic. We have a social and political pandemic. We've mm. had environmental pandemic. So we've had a president who was assassinated. We've had an earthquake. We've had that impacted, um, that severely impacted the South side of Haiti mm-hmm. in the Gunda's department. And we have had gangs, area, much, much of Haiti being occupied by gangs. Um, mm. So there's been a lot of kidnapping. So there's a lot, a lot of struggles happening all at once. So you can imagine mm-hmm. that the people here are pretty much walking around with trauma in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just dealing with the generational trauma of slavery as well. Yeah. So on top of you know, with all of these things happening, we're looking at layers and layers of generational trauma that's never been touched. Yeah. It's a tall order, but you're a tall woman too. (laughs) Yeah. And and just being able to bring that, I think that's one of the things that I know John Edwards, who was the one who orchestrated the training we went to, has been wanting to put together a training that works a lot with Caribbean folks Mm -hmm. to just bring the healing across the world as much as possible. But for our healing, especially which ties into the generational trauma as well. I wonder how does this also translate into the idea of what does joy mean? Uh, so for me, my life motto is cultivating joy and vitality. Um, just as a woman, as mm-hmm. a black woman, as a woman who is who a Caribbean woman, I mean, it's just as just as a you, it just means so much to me, um, and I'm so um, joy is having a sense of contentment with life, mm-hmm. no matter what is happening. It's just a deeper sense of contentment. It doesn't mean that life stops. Life stops to have stops to happen. So you, it doesn't mean tragic doesn't happen when you have joy, but it's really just finding this little window mm-hmm. where the sun still what wait the sun still sets, the sun still rise. I think for me it's the little things. It's making the little things be big things in your life, and you everyone gets to identify what joy is for them. But joy is the thing that happens when nothing else is present. 
Um, joy is the thing that is still consistently, that consistently shows up when everything mm -hmm. walks away, when everything doesn't seem like it's going the right way, when you add a loss for word, when things are breaking down, when it's still present. It's like, it's that loyal friend. And it's a loyal friend that you get to craft. It's not something, sometimes it's gifted to you, but I also think even if it's gifted to you, it's something that you have to cultivate. Um, for me, it can mean having a, sim, uh, a symbol of what joy represents and being able to see it every day. I have an altar in my home or in different corners of my home. And that altar has very meaningful things to me. And so when I get, when I pass by every corner of my home and I see those things, I am reminded that I am not alone. I am reminded that there are forces around me that are motivated to see, to help me see through the day in a way that serves me well. Mm -hmm. The joy is internal. It can also be external, but it's like this light, this little candle that just never never dies it just stays there for you again it doesn't mean that things don't happen mm -hmm. it means that you are able as things are happening there's still something that you can hold on to it's an anchor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so when i'm working with clients is really helping them to develop their own anchor joy, sometimes they'll say joy in someone else is in someone else and i always encourage them to to find joy in a way that is outside of someone because if that person is no longer there, what is there of your joy then? So it's always important then to, okay, if it's, if joy is your son, and that's great, because joy is also my son, but tell me more about that. Tell me, tell me something about your son mm -hmm. that really just captivates joy for you. And what if we were to just have this item be placed on your desk? What if we were to just have it in a corner of your home or how can you actually embody this thing on a day-to-day -day basis? So it's, so you're never without it. Of mm. course, when you see your son, it just elevates it. But let's embody this very specific characteristic you just told me about. That is joy. And how do we just hold that in? When the world is falling apart or when you think the world is falling apart, joy is that little space that you go to. And for a moment, it's your special place. And you just live in that special place for a moment, even if you have to come back to the world, the big scary world. So for people who live, who I work with, who still live in very chaotic environment, for them, joy is coming into my therapist's office, therapy office, where they get to just put all of the armor down. And then when they go out in the outside world, they have to put it back on. And that's okay because they have to be hypervigilant. They have to protect themselves. So for some people, they have to have their anger. So joy is just to be able to retire their anger for 53 minutes. So you get to define what that is for you. And in therapy, we sort of work on crafting a narrative around it. Let's all just take a moment and sit with that. I think that's a very profound thought. And I think that's also a beautiful segue into our talk, talk about, as we do on this show, myths and realities around mental health. And we touched on it a little earlier, but I think we also touched very much on the standpoint of the idea of what mental health is and has been can very much differ for us as people of color, people from collectivist backgrounds um, compared to what we see now or what we have been, especially for those of us that are also practitioners, what we've got to work within a system that doesn't always support that. What about for you? What else comes up for you around this idea of there's myths around why we don't seek mental health? Um, I think the myth has to do with the fact that this person is the expert of my life. Mm. And there's shame in that. Like someone knows me better than I know myself. I think there's a lot of shame around that. And 
one of the way we dismantle those myths is to acknowledge that they exist, that those narratives do exist, and to really put it back on the client that you are actually the expert of your life. Mm-hmm. When client ask, when people ask you questions, but what do you think about this? And you really put it back and just say, I can tell you what I think about it, but I really think it would be so helpful if you told me what you think about it. And together we can sort of have create a narrative, but I really want to hear your voice. Mm-hmm. So the myth exists because people don't hear enough of their voices. They're often being told what to do, who they should be by society, by their family. And so they then develop this own, their own narrative from that, that, oh, okay, I don't know me. Maybe I, there is something wrong with me, that my worth is attached to something or someone. So the myth exists because we have created all of these mechanisms that get in the way of people being connected to who they are. So what ther- why therapy is so powerful and helpful is that or therapy that is somatic, I think, it helps people to be, to get to the root of who they are. Mm-hmm. And once you do, you start to just dismantle all these myths. And sometimes the, the myth, the mental health myth is just one of them. The myth, other myth can just be, I'm not worthy of being better than this. I'm not worthy of just being, so, of healing this. This is not trauma. This is not pain. This is just what I'm supposed, how I'm supposed to live. So it's not necessarily always about mental health. It's myths about self that find itself in everything that this person is connected to, be it mental health, career, relationship, mothering, motherhood, friendship, and all of it. So I tend to not say it's not a myth, it's a myth about mental health. I think it's more a myth about self that impacts the way you see things that are important. Very, very beautifully put. And it also supports very much what you're talking about with the esteem mm-hmm. uh, yeah. aspect. Because I think, and I think that one of the other things too, as you're, saying, as you're saying, is that this idea that somebody else is the, supposedly knows your life better than you do, is a simple fact that not every therapist is the one you should be working with. Absolutely. And. And this is full respect to my fellow colleagues. Not every person is the right person to be working with somebody. I'm not the right person for everybody. (laughs) Exactly. I I know I'm not the right therapist for everybody as well. Um, Because one of those big things is, and this goes back to what you're saying, is like there has to be a way to develop trust. And frankly, we're not going to trust everybody. Nor should we trust everybody. Absolutely. But again, that model, that idea of the, what we'll put it as manualized therapy that wants to say that you can only, that you can be healed in 12 session assumes that one therapy, whatever the therapist is good enough to solve this situation. Sadly, the good enough, which is useful, not good to be applying in this situation. Absolutely. Uh, one of the people I was talking to, Jewel Love, during his podcast, which will uh, air um, earlier in January, uh, we were talking about the standpoint that, um, well, I lost that entire train of thought there. <laughs> um, but we were t- ideally talking around this, the standpoint that the, sis- the systems think that you can just plug and play somebody. And we're dealing, oh no, that, that plug and play was the, the key word I needed there. Uh, no, we were talking about the tech bro situation. Um, and this was in our private conversation around the standpoint that there are so many people in the tech industry who are giving us these apps and using these matching services, which are nice in theory, but the thing is you're trying to use technology to solve a human relationship problem. You're replacing the human relationship that where the damage happened and it's a human relation problem for healing it with a tech solution. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, not enough, not enough um, emphasis is put on the human connection. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes that is to our own detriment, Mm -hmm. both individually and communally. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to move away. 
to feel better, we move away from self mm-hmm. and we move away. And if we're moving away from self, we're moving away from community. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways the pandemic has forced people to move into selves mm-hmm. and therefore has created, has it scared people. And I don't know, just you being a psychotherapist, you may be able to speak to that is that people are learning things about themselves or seeing other folks in ways they'd never seen them before because they were so used to the distance. Mm-hmm. And now that there is little distance, like what do I do with all of this information? Mm-hmm. Some of it bad, some of it good, but a lot of it is just confusing information, overwhelming information. Even the good one can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And it- to, be, to move into self is different than when you do it voluntarily. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it's not just also that standpoint of being able to move, having moved away from people, they were then having to move in, into themselves because they had the isolation. So they had, they got a, in some ways, a forced introspection. Yes. <laughs> and introspection is a necessary thing, but it's not, doesn't work if we don't also look at the difficult things. It's not just saying that I'm great and wonderful, which is good for self-esteem or esteem, yeah. but it's not all of it. And is looking at those harder portions of it. So we should just go ahead and start wrapping up. But I want to also give you a chance to talk a little more about your book that's yeah. coming out and how people can find that and how people can find you to engage in your services. And if at all possible, how can they also support what you're doing in Haiti? Absolutely. So people can find me on um, ramcircle.com. That's R as in Robert, A as in Apple, M as in Mary, circle, like the shape.com. Uh, my personal email is Marjorie, M-A-R-J-O-R-I-E, at ramcircle.com. Uh, my, uh, our the practice social media page is ramcircle on Instagram. Uh, so that's another way. And um, yeah, so Instagram, website, or email. And as the book is actually available now to pre-order on ramcircle.com, if you just click the esteem tab, you'll be able to pre-order either the ebook or the um, hard book. And as far as the work around brain spotting for Haiti, there is, I created a brain spotting Haiti page, Facebook page. So that's another way um, I can be contacted if you are interested in supporting the initiative. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I want to thank you again for coming on here and we're going to get this information out as much as we can. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me. All righty. So enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you. And that goes for everyone there too, or everyone here who's listening. Uh, I want you to enjoy your week. I want you to find that inner joy and understand that there is somebody out there who is the right person for you to work with on healing yourself, healing that generational trauma. So tune in again for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered on Voice America. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapy therapist. Have a good day. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.